Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, I'm delighted to say that uh, uh, this agreement, let's call it the Edinburgh Agreement, uh, has been signed by myself and the Prime Minister, Nicola Sturgeon and Michael Moore, uh, and it paves the way, of course, for uh, the most uh, important decision that our country of Scotland uh, has made in, in several hundred years. It is, in that sense, uh, a historic day for Scotland, and I think a uh, a major step forward in Scotland's home rule journey. The Edinburgh Agreement means that we'll have a referendum in two years' time, which will be built and made in the Scottish Parliament on behalf of the Scottish people. I think that's a substantial and important step forward. But there's two other aspects of this agreement which I think are quite fundamental today, and that is that we now have a, an agreement on process which means there'll be respect for the outcome of the referendum, whatever it is. Uh, that's contained in the last clause of the agreement, uh, where the two governments are committed to continue to work together constructively in the light of the outcome, whatever it is, in the best interests of the people of Scotland and of the rest of the United Kingdom. And that, of course, is, is how it should be. Uh, this is an entirely democratic constitutional process. And the, the huge gain of coming to an agreement is to have that agreement and process and respect for the outcome. A highly significant, important and entirely positive development. Secondly, in terms of the approach to the campaign, I'm delighted that we are through this uh, stage of process in the campaign uh, and now can get on to substantive arguments. Uh, do I believe that independence will win this, uh, this campaign? Yes, I do. Uh, and I believe we'll win it by setting out a positive vision for a a better future for our country, both economically and crucially also socially. And it's that vision of a, a prosperous, prosperous and compassionate society, a confident society moving forward in Scotland, which will carry the day. You win elections as you win referendums by winning the arguments. And that two-year process will be one in which we'll put forward that positive vision, uh, which will carry the Scottish people with us. I believe that uh, it was crucial to, uh, to have such an agreement. Uh, I think it's of vital importance that the question of process was agreed and put to one side, precisely so that we can get on to substantive arguments uh, about what's in the best interests of the Scottish people. So the Edinburgh Agreement, I think, is a milestone in our journey, but it paves the way to both a, a campaign which is worthy of the political debate in Scotland and I believe a decision which will be in the best interests of the Scottish people. Uh, and now uh, myself and uh, Nicola Sturgeon are, are very open indeed to, uh, to questions. Brian Taylor. Do you have a date in mind for the referendum? It's presently only uh, autumn of 2014. And can you share that date with us? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, the autumn of 2014, look, we've got a process now to go through. Uh, where the results of the consultation exercise uh, will be uh, published in the near future. Uh, the Section 30 order will be completed by next February, uh, and that means that the Scottish Parliament will have uh, ample time to look at the results of the huge consultation exercise and will have the ability to determine the whole range of things, including the date. Uh, so, you know, the, I have uh, my view of what the, the, the date should be, but. Uh, I'm going to look at the consultation exercise when it's published. I'll listen to the arguments in the Parliament, and, and the Parliament will determine the date. 
But the timetable which we set out in January uh, of this year in the consultation document holds, uh, and that uh, the process by which it uh, is arrived at is now very clear. In other words, the Section 30 agreement legislation next year, the publication of the white paper in the autumn of next year, and then the time for uh, a debate and decision by the Scottish people, which takes us to the autumn of 2014. Debbie, Edward from, from ITN. The polls have um, varied, varied little in the past few years, and support and attendance has, has varied roughly between 25 and 33%. You're going to have to get that up somewhat if you're going to win this vote until mid-summer. Do you succeed it? Well, yes, we are, and yes, I agree. We'll, we'll have to uh, uh, gain a majority to win the referendum. That's, uh, that's self-evident. How do you do it? Well, uh, I would point to the indications we have from polling evidence that if people believe it's in the economic and social interests of Scotland to become an independent country, then they'll vote for, for independence. Uh, my political uh, life, I believe that uh, the way to win elections is winning arguments. If we wind back the clock to just over a year ago, I was told that I think by just about every uh, journalist and newspaper in Scotland that the Labour Party were, were heading to victory in the Scottish Parliament elections. Uh, well, what happened uh, is history. But what's more interesting is how did we turn a substantial opinion poll deficit into uh, a substantial victory in the ballot box? We did that by uh, by winning the arguments. If you win the arguments, you win elections. If you win arguments, you win referendum. Uh, Nick, I beg your pardon. Thank you very much. Can I take you back to the big and substantial question for everybody in the UK, not just for people living in Scotland? This is the year in which Andy Murray and Chris Hoy wrapped themselves up in the Union Jack. Why do you want to rip it up? And who's more in touch with public opinion? Well, I, I, I don't want to rip anything up. Uh, uh, I thought that was the pejorative language that the BBC had decided wasn't uh, wasn't appropriate <laughs> in this campaign. Uh, I mean, I, uh, uh, I mean, we could go into a discussion of, of flags, and I, I could point out to you that the Union flag was actually designed by James VI uh, when he was king of two independent countries, both Scotland and England. It didn't actually have anything to do with the Parliamentary Union of 1707. But let's take the, the serious point, Nick. Uh, we're not in the business uh, of ripping things up. We're in the business of developing a, a new relationship between the peoples of these islands. I think uh, a more beneficial and independent and equal relationship. Uh, that's what we're trying to build. Uh, and the fact we've reached an agreement on the process by which that can be done, uh, I think, gives the, the lie to the, the pejorative language you, you chose to use. Uh, you know, if you want to take it in this light, uh, I'm, I'm quite certain that uh, not just... Uh, uh, the athletes you mentioned, but uh, all the Scottish athletes will be very delighted to, to fly the Saltire in the 2014 Commonwealth Games. Uh, athletes uh, compete for the competing country in the Commonwealth Games. That's, uh, they'll compete for Scotland and they'll be delighted and proud to, to fly that national flag. Uh, but the basis, and the more profound basis, I think, Nick, is that we're interested in building a new relationship, not in, not in ripping things up. I'm certainly not saying that, Nick, but I think the BBC have had two questions already, and I, I notice IRN. You've uh, had a face-to-face -face meeting with the Prime Minister. Would you have a face-to-face -face debate with the Prime Minister of Scotland? Yes, uh, I think that would be uh, highly appropriate. Uh, I'm sure there will be a range of debates with uh, a range of people in the campaign, but I'd be delighted to debate with the Prime Minister 
uh, in terms of uh, of the future of Scotland and uh, and this referendum argument. I'll do it now, next week, next year, any time from now until the the autumn of 2014. Well, I, I haven't put any prohibition on, on David Cameron or any of the other parties bringing forward proposals. They can bring them forward tomorrow if, uh, if they so choose. There's no, there's no uh, prohibition on the, these parties bringing forward their ideas. I, incidentally, I don't think the delay in bringing forward the ideas has got anything to do with the referendum. Uh, I think the delay in bringing forward ideas is to do with the lack of ideas. Uh, as I remember, the Prime Minister in his last visit to Scotland spoke about uh, uh, alternatives uh, uh, to independence. Uh, it's not for me to give advice to the no campaign, but uh, I suspect if I were them, I'd start spelling them out sooner uh, rather than later, since uh, uh, since this obviously going to be part of the, the the campaign argument. You asked me to speculate on what's going to be like. You know, in, in keeping with the campaign, I believe will win this referendum. Uh, I prefer to talk about the economic and social advantages. Uh, for Scotland becoming an independent country. But as you may be aware, we've had certain illustrations of the, the consequences in, of, uh, of London government from either of the uh, potential governing parties, from either a Tory government or indeed a, a Labour government. And, and that is the argument coming forward that many of the substantial gains we've made from devolution, uh, the, the right to a, a health service free at the point of need, the right to transportation from, uh, for our old people, uh, the, the right to free education, uh, that these somehow might be swept away uh, under the scenarios envisaged by the Conservative and Labour parties. Uh, I think that will be one of the, the substantial social arguments that we bring forward uh, in terms of the campaign. I believe we can build an economically prosperous and more just society here in Scotland. That's going to be at the very core of the argument. But in keeping with my campaign rhetoric for a positive campaign, uh, let me uh, stress the arguments for, uh, as opposed to following your invitation to the dire consequences of a, a, a no victory. Uh, incidentally, given that the other parties are, are spelling out some of these dire consequences, uh, it seems that uh, I've got an avenue, an opportunity to, to stay on the positive. Please, three rows back. Well, the, the referendum uh, will uh, take place in 2014. The consultation will be published in the, the next few weeks. That consultation will inform the whole range of decisions uh, that we wanted uh, the Scottish Parliament to, 
uh, to make on the nature of the referendum, on the, uh, the question of the, the referendum, on the timing of the, the referendum, on the campaign rules and the, the framework by which the referendum was built. Uh, it's quite true that uh, uh, we uh, did not achieve the objective of allowing the Scottish Parliament to have provision including the question as to whether there should be one or, or two questions. That was very much the, the view of the, the Westminster government. Uh, but in the terms of, uh, of any uh, negotiation, there, there has to be uh, an element of compromise on both sides. And the very substantial gain that Scotland now has is that we have an agreed process to, to hold this referendum uh, and respect for the outcome of the referendum. Uh, the, uh, I think that is a, an agreement worth having. I think that's a, a huge and substantial advance forward. Uh, but of course, uh, uh, I, can under, I can well understand uh, why people uh, may have wished to see a, a second question in the, the ballot paper, but uh, uh, that was an argument which was not foreclosed on by the Scottish Government. That was an argument which was foreclosed on by the Westminster Government. My job as First Minister of Scotland was to see an agreement by which uh, the process could be agreed so as the outcome could be respected. That is a substantial and huge gain. Uh, Mr Salmond, talk about a, a, a decision that has to be made by the, the Scottish people on this matter. Will they get any more indication of the terms of this referendum uh, before they have to make that decision? For example, things like, will they get a definitive answer on things like EU membership, mm. uh, allocation of the national debt, what will happen? Well, the process and timetable which we set out provides for the publication of the white paper at this time next year. Uh, that white paper will be the prospectus for, for independence laid out by the, the Scottish Government. Uh, that, if you may remember, uh, is identical to the process that was followed as far as the devolution referendum was concerned. Uh, the publication of a government white paper uh, and then a campaign and a decision by the people. So the white paper will spell out the SNP government, the Scottish government's perspectives on independence, including the, the answer to, to many of the, the questions that you put forward. That is the purpose of the white paper on which the people judge to vote either yes or no. But isn't that simply one side of the view of what will happen? Well, the proposition is for uh, an independent Scotland. Uh, I uh, don't, uh, I mean, the process which I've described to you is identical to the process which was carried forward in the devolution referendum. Uh, I think the precedent of the devolution referendum seemed to me in that sense perfectly satisfactory. Uh, I think it's a good precedent to follow. It was a, a happy and satisfactory outcome. It was a good debate. Uh, I don't see why we should, uh, we should decide that that process which was successfully followed in the past wouldn't be appropriate for the independence referendum uh, in the future. Second row back. <laughs> the, well, in the second part, uh, 
the, the, the timing of any possible referendum on European Union membership is, as I understand it, uh, a matter for the United Kingdom uh, uh, government. As I suspected, the timing of Conservative Party conferences, uh, all I can say is we'll abide by the terms of, uh, uh, of this agreement. Uh, I mean, clearly you could have a Conservative Party conference that didn't breach this agreement, uh, but that's up to those who signed the agreement uh, uh, on the uh, UK government side to make sure they adhere to it. As far as the Scottish government is concerned, uh, we've signed an agreement and we'll live up to it in, in letter and in, uh, and in spirit. Seb, yes. No, well, our preference, uh, Seb, was laid out in the consultation uh, document in what we published uh, in January of this year. That was the SNP government's preference, which was for a single question. Uh, but I've also said, and we, uh, uh, and we argued, that, that the matter should be left for the Scottish Parliament to determine. Uh, our principal position in these negotiations was that all matters pertaining to this referendum should be decided by the Scottish Parliament. That was our position. And on the vast majority of these issues, that is what's going to happen. Uh, the one obvious exception uh, is the question of, of two questions. Uh, so if you understand, our preference was to have a single question uh, on independence as we laid out in the papers. But we also believe that the Scottish Parliament should be entitled to make that decision. Uh, at the end of the day in a negotiation, you have to decide whether you have, as a negotiated package, something's worth having. What's worth having in this agreement is an agreement on the process and respect for the outcome by which Scotland can become an independent country. And that significant gain, as exemplified by the last paragraph in the agreement, seemed to me to justify the signing of the agreement in the best interest of the Scottish people. Three rows back. Well, the, as you know, the last figures we have are for 2010-11. Uh, uh, in 2010-11, there was a, a relative surplus uh, in Scotland compared to the, the situation pertaining the UK of £2.7 billion, which is just over £500 a head for every man, woman and child in Scotland. Uh, that means that in any uh, fiscal stability compact, uh, the Scottish Government at that stage of Scotland had been independent. Uh, could have decided with that 2.7 billion to borrow less if it so chose, uh, to uh, to spend more, particularly on capital spending, uh, and to defend social and economic provision of the uh, of the Scottish people, or any combination of, of these three things. Uh, that would have been a, a pretty healthy uh, fiscal position relative to the fiscal position of the of the United Kingdom. Uh, the next GERS figures will be out relatively shortly, and we can uh, debate the figures for the, the following year. Uh, but that argument, and remember the GERS figures, for those who are not as familiar as some of our Scottish colleagues might be with them, the government expenditure and revenue uh, calculation for Scotland is a, a kite mark document that includes all expenditure or, or allocations of UK expenditure and all revenue which can be properly allocated, uh, allocated to Scotland. Uh, so I, I think in terms of the current fiscal position of Scotland, there is a, a level of comfort which would give a, 
a degree of manoeuvrability in fiscal policy to the Scottish Government, which the UK Government at least doesn't think it has at the present moment, and notwithstanding the debate we might have with them, the request that we might make to them to increase capital investment provision in the best interests of economic recovery. But of course, our position at the present moment of being able to argue for increased capital investment but not be able to put it into place is going to be one of the key arguments for why we should have the fiscal control which we'll have uh, as an independent country. Yes, Magnus. Uh, Magnus, have you made a comeback, Magnus? I mean, a very welcome <laughs> comeback, I should say. You never went away. You never went away, <laughs> right. Good. Well, since you're accepting <laughs> responsibility for the Times uh, uh, newspaper, can I point out that it was one of the, uh, the newspapers which forecast my demise last year, uh, as opposed to in uh, 2014. So it's very kind of the, the Times to offer me that extension of longevity uh, for, uh, for four years. That is very comforting. I actually have in my, my notes, uh, which no doubt came from the special advisors, uh, it says, do not look triumphalist. So in this press conference, I'm doing my absolute best not to look uh, triumphalist. Uh, Magnus, uh, you, uh, since I always, uh, I always follow the, the advice of my, uh, my advisors. Uh, Magnus, I, I have believed in independence for Scotland all my life, as you rightly say. Uh, I've also believed that uh, given the proper opportunity, uh, we, the campaign, the SNP, the other parties supporting it, the Civic Scotland people supporting this campaign, uh, will be able to convince a majority of our fellow citizens that that is the right future for Scotland. Uh, just as I believed in independence, I believed in the ability of persuasion on this argument. If the campaign is pitched correctly and positively about the future of our country, about the benefits economically certainly, but also about the, the benefits socially, uh, to the nature, the essence of Scotland, from being an independent country, but the contribution we can make to ourselves and the contribution we can make to the wider world. I believe if we can communicate that argument and two years gives us time to do it, then we'll win the referendum. And just as I've believed in independence all my life, I believe that with all my soul. Now, one, one, sorry, Ian, I'll, I'll yeah, come to you first. Can I just ask you about what happens if you actually win? Uh, your, your, background, your background briefing uh, points out that the referendum will be advisory rather than legally binding. So what happens on the day after if you have got a yes vote? Uh, is that a mandate to begin negotiations over the division of the national debt and removal of nuclear weapons? Or does it have to be a parliamentary election, which all the parties say that they think it means? And does it have to be another act, an act of disunion going Yes, I mean, the, the, uh, can I point you to the um, paragraph 30 in the agreement and the respect for the outcome? It's one of the 
uh, most significant aspects of, uh, of this agreement, to respect the democratic wishes of the Scottish people in a process which has been agreed. And, and this is why that, that nature of that and that paragraph and this agreement is so crucial, Ian. Uh, what it means is that the, uh, the Scottish Government would be empowered uh, to begin negotiations with the UK Government and with other uh, bodies in terms of the delivery of, uh, of independence. And uh, that would happen that's as soon as the referendum has a, has a positive outcome. Uh, and the first independent elections uh, will be in uh, 2016. Uh, and that first independent parliament will then decide uh, a range and nature of things about the future progress of the state so that people have the ability uh, to decide, for example, the terms of a, of a written constitution for an independent Scotland and so on and so forth. Uh, so the process of negotiations would begin on the date of uh, or the day after a yes vote in the referendum and the first independent elections to the parliament will be held uh, in 2016. One back. Dale Record. <laughs> they, uh, uh, I prefer the Sunday Herald uh, uh, hypothesis uh, uh, to, to the uh, Times newspaper, but uh, just as I pointed out, the, the Times uh, had uh, signed my political death warrant last year. Uh, in due respect, Torco, I should point out, so did the Daily Record. Actually, the Daily Record uh, signed it even more than the Times did. You win uh, elections and referendums by winning arguments. We intend to win the argument to enable us to win the referendum. Next door. In two sentences, to benefit the, the Scottish people, both economically and socially, to build a new future for Scotland. Uh, two sentences, there's your answer. Um, Taylor, Taylor Graham. Which side do you think has got the best deal out of the Edinburgh Agreement, and can you explain why? And also, can you, can you detail a bit more about how you're going to give um, all 16 wards the benefit of the power over the change of voting legislation that you before? Well, uh, to answer you, I mean, I, I could, uh, I mean, I'm not uh, going to rely on my old friend uh, Lord Forsyth's estimation of the uh, of the outcome, but he he probably has more sway of the Daily Telegraph than uh, uh, than I have. But I, I think we've got I think we've got well that uh, as I said I wasn't relying on his opinion. What I was going to rely on was the uh, the belief that I have that an agreement on process was vital to ensure respect for the outcome. This opens the the opportunity, the door of opportunity to the Scottish people to vote for a better economic and social future for our nation. Uh, that is the essence of this agreement. It provides an opportunity. I think an agreement that encapsulate that is an agreement worth having for Scotland. Now, as far as the, the detail of, uh, of 16, 17-year-olds, Nicola, would you like to come in there? Yeah, I'd refer you to paragraph 11 of the agreement uh, under franchise. Uh, when it says very clearly that the Scottish Government's decision on what to propose to the Parliament will be informed by the analysis of responses to its consultation exercise and by practical considerations. It then goes on to say, and uh, this is the, the crucial sentence, the order does not restrict the extension of the franchise in the case of this referendum. So uh, let's be very clear, the agreement uh, does allow us to extend the franchise to all 16 and 17 year olds if that is the decision and the preference of the Scottish Parliament. Uh, clearly, uh, that decision would require us to align our preparations with the 
uh, time scale and preparations that would be necessary for electoral registration officers to complete the register and enable that to happen. Uh, but we are absolutely certain uh, that it is possible to achieve that and we'll set out our plans in more detail about how that will be done once we've published the consultation analysis. Right. Can we move one row back? Yeah. Well, the our proposal, which will be outlined in the in the white paper, but which I've discussed in a, a couple of recent articles, because the one of the things the white paper uh, will do is to make the, the very uh, uh, significant distinction between the the arguments of the the SNP uh, and the arguments for independence. So the SNP have a, a range of policy platforms, uh, which, of course, the people would be able to choose as one option for how they wish to see Scotland governed and the policies they so choose. But also they would have uh, uh, they would have alternative choices, other political parties with different ideas. And that's why uh, I think that the nature of the uh, a written constitution for Scotland it would be a, a matter for debate and discussion in the first independent uh, elections in 2016, where the various parties can put together their ideas and the majority party on this and on many other issues would uh, uh, would have the position in the parliament. And my also belief is also that given recent uh, history, for example, the the provisions and the nature which uh, of consultation and public debate and interaction which led, for example, to the, the new Icelandic uh, proposals on, on constitution, uh, there is uh, models uh, internationally which uh, enable you to use uh, the wonders of modern technology to, en to envisage a process which is highly interactive and, uh, and consultative. So prime responsibility for the first independent parliament and the nature of that consultation in forming a constitution uh, will be of uh, vital importance in signifying the nature of the state uh, that intends to go forward. Uh, one row back, uh, or I think next to you, yeah. We know you have preferred wording of the question you want to ask. Are you prepared to change the wording well, the, the process is uh, as set out by the Electoral Commission itself. Uh, the government propose, the Electoral Commission advises, and then the Parliament decides. Uh, that's the process which pertains for uh, uh, Westminster elections. That's the process that will pertain for the Scottish elections. And, of course, it's the process which the Electoral Commission itself uh, has put forward as being right and valid. Uh, in terms of the uh, our proposal as a government, then, of course, that will be informed by the consultation exercise uh, when that's published and we'll consider that in terms of formulating our proposal for the electoral commission then to go through the intelligibility testing and then to advise the uh, government and both of these things will inform the, the parliamentary decision when it comes. You know, exactly the same process which pertains at Westminster for Westminster uh, referendum. Okay. Can I move across to the aisle there? The, there was no substantive uh, uh, discussion on uh, uh, on that today. There was a range of things uh, which were mentioned in the in the debate and the uh, uh, and the discussion around the uh, the agreement, but that it wasn't a substantive matter of the of the of the discussion today. Uh, there was a whole range of uh, of points uh, which were being exchanged in terms of uh, of fleshing out the uh, agreements paragraphs in terms of. Uh, for example, how the governments uh, operate together in, in terms of the memorandum of understanding, which is uh, contained within or referenced in the in the agreement. Uh, 
but there was no substantive discussion on that issue today. The, well, I, 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 you know, at best uh, to uh, hypothesise on uh, a success rather than failure. Uh, I, I've made comments uh, before uh, on uh, uh, on these matters, but you know, we're going forward on this historic day to a platform in which uh, we believe we can win the referendum for independence in Scotland. Having agreed a process and accepted respect for the outcome, as you rightly say, uh, and that is. Uh, uh, a day, I think, fully in tune with the, the positive thinking, which I believe will win us this campaign. Beside you. Um, sorry, Rob, I'm from Bloomberg again. Aren't you slightly uh, saying the Scots are forcing Trump to see his degrees in the Spanish and Italy? There isn't much independence if you don't control your own currency. Well, I think the analogy between uh, uh, a sterling area uh, and uh, the Eurozone is a, a false comparison. Well, can I just finish the answer before you ask the next question? Uh, the, the basic difference uh, is a pretty obvious one, about, apart from the number of countries involved. Uh, the problem in the Eurozone is the difference in productivity between the areas of the, of the Eurozone. Uh, for example, the, the, the rural Valley is about 40% more productive than the, the southern tip of Greece in terms of uh, manufacturing or competitive position. Uh, that is a totally different position uh, with what pertains in the United Kingdom, which is, well, for example, Institute of Fiscal Studies, if I remember correctly, is described as an optimal currency area. Uh, that is, indeed, the productivity of Scotland and England is largely identical, slightly higher export productivity in Scotland, slightly lower productivity in the service industries, but basically identical. Uh, that doesn't create any of the underlying tensions that the Eurozone countries have at the, the present moment. So uh, I would think that was a a pretty false uh, uh, analogy. There's a difference between a, an optimal currency area uh, and one which is clearly not optimal. Feedback. Well, the, the, what we hoped and what we have achieved is that that matter is under the purview of the, the Scottish Parliament, certainly uh, as would be the case in any uh, a campaign organised by Westminster, taking the advice of the Electoral Commission, uh, informed by the results of the consultation exercise. But that matter is under the, the control of the Scottish Parliament. Nicola, I think it usefully you might want to say a word about that as well. Yeah, I think what's important is that we set <coughs> uh, campaign spending limits that are fair, that guarantee a level playing field and limits that reflect Scottish circumstances. What we've done in the agreement is uh, two things. Firstly, to agree, as uh, I think is, it's right to do, that our starting point, the basis for reaching those decisions, will be uh, the process set out in PEPERA, the UK uh, legislation. And secondly, we've set down in some detail, if you look at the, the terms of the agreement, the process that we'll go through. So firstly, we'll reflect on uh, the results of our own consultation. Uh, we will consult with both of the campaign organisations, both uh, Yes Scotland and Better Together, these campaign organisations weren't in existence when we started this process, so we'll take their views into account and of course we will listen to the views of the Electoral Commission. Uh, but it's a bit like uh, the uh, answer the First Minister gave over the wording of the question. You know, We're very clear that the uh, 
uh, role of the Electoral Commission is to advise and that their advice uh, requires to be given uh, weight. The role of government is to propose and the role of parliament is to decide and, and that's the process we'll go through. I think the final point I would make, but a very important point, is that that process mirrors the process that is set down in Papera for sub-UK referendum. So if, uh, if the UK government was setting the campaign limits for this referendum, that's exactly the process that they would go through in terms of the law. So it's a fair process and it's one uh, I'm pretty sure will take us to a fair result. Now, anybody who hasn't asked a question. Gentleman at the back. Well, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in you know, developments in Europe and elsewhere, but uh, uh, I've made a kind of rule in, uh, in politics not to tell the people of Catalonia what they should and shouldn't do, and, uh, and equally uh, that applies in, uh, in reverse. Uh, you know, I think there are very, you know, Scotland uh, is not any other country. It's not an exact replica of, you know, Scotland is not, uh, it's not a range of countries. So we're all very interested and informed by by what's going on and other developments, but we make it a, a provision that we don't interfere in the, in the politics of, of other countries. Uh, so we're interested, but uh, I, I don't think the, uh, I think this is a, a debate and a campaign which will be determined uh, uh, by the Scottish people. I mean, we've spent and invested a, a huge amount of political effort, I think successfully, in having a referendum which is built in Scotland. Uh, and therefore, although obviously people in Scotland rightfully will be concerned about their position and welcome, I think, uh, the positive uh, international role that Scotland can play, you know, it's a debate that's going to be conducted uh, uh, with Scotland in terms of the, the social economic uh, benefits for Scotland from being an independent country. Certainly, Scotland's ability to play a role in the international dimension will, will have a factor in the debate, but that's a a conversation which will, will take place in the, in the, among Scottish citizens and the Scottish electorate. Please. Do you know overstaffed? I mean, I, I don't, you know. This, this is the, the, third, the third Daily Mail reporter. <laughs> well, I, I know that the Daily Mail is, uh, is familiar with the recent Ernst & Young uh, study uh, showing that Scotland was the leading part of these islands in terms of the attraction of inward investment over the last year, beating even London, uh, which uh, uh, you know, is a, obviously a, a tough competitor to beat. Uh, but uh, I think that's a pretty effective answer to the, uh, uh, to the, the point you raise. Uh, the other point, uh, I find that I also think that Channel 4 fact check uh, uh, emphasized that in one of their famous fact checks. So the supreme authority for these matters should be Channel 4 uh, fact check guy. The, uh, the other thing I would make to you is uh, uh, it would be wise for the Daily Mail not to underrate the degree of business support for, uh, for independent Scotland. I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's uh, a well-known uh, development among the Scottish journalists here that uh, Scotland's leading job creator at the present moment, Jim McCall, previously a supporter uh, of uh, financial autonomy, uh, said recently that uh, if it came to a direct choice between independence and the status quo, then he at least would be choosing independence. So uh, there are very substantial voices in the business community who see the opportunities uh, for an independent Scotland in a, a, an economic and business sense. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for one last question.
and one from somebody who hasn't had one. So keep your hands up if you haven't had one. The gentleman at the back. Follow the sequence of, of argument. I mean, ho home rule is a, a, a very valid generic term that's been used for, for generations. Are so you quite right? Uh, including by uh, uh, by Keir Hardy, the uh, the emphasis I, I think I was trying to make in the press release was not on the home rule so much as on the journey. Uh, I've always argued that uh, uh, the developments in Scotland, you can take it back at least a century, uh, have been part of a process. Uh, I've always believed that the the destination in that process was an independent Scotland, uh, but I've always supported every uh, improvement in Scotland's position over these uh, over these years. I didn't support the ones that Keir Hardy proposed because I wasn't around to do it, but nonetheless, the more recent ones, uh, on the basis that this was a, a journey. I'm not the only uh, Scottish politician to to talk about these matters as a process as opposed to to a single event. But I've always believed that the destination and the the best possible constitutional settlement for Scotland was as as a uh, as an independent country. So uh, I think the phrase in the uh, in the press release should be accorded no other significance than talking about this issue as a process uh, by which Scotland has changed hugely its, its constitutional circumstances over the last century and can and has now has the opportunity to complete that journey and complete that process. Uh, I think that's a, a good way to to put forward the argument. You could equally say, I mean, uh, the Scottish Parliament, uh, most people would say, you know, in uh, the famous uh, Monty Python phrase, what has the Scottish Parliament uh, has done for me, then I think most people looking over the last 10 years would probably point to social advances on free education, free, uh, free prescriptions, the availability of personal care for, the, for our older generation and the, the freedom from fear that gives people. They would say these are major social advances. Uh, the fact that the our unionist opponents uh, are putting these gains into jeopardy, uh, I think, is one of the uh, arguments that will be a very substantial one in the in the coming weeks and months. But I've always regarded the uh, uh, this as a journey, as a as a process, and I think the destination for that process is, is Scottish independence, and the opportunity to get there will be in a referendum in two years' time. Now, I don't want to be unfair to Andy, so is there Andy in this room, uh, with a possible exception? I, well, but, and, and highly simple, the, the last question then for the Scots Independent newspaper. It perhaps is more of an observation, First Minister, than a question. I have had difficulty hearing you all through because of the clicking of the camera, <laughs> which reminds me of the opposition in the Scottish Parliament. <laughs> However, I do want to say that as editor of the Scots only newspaper which supports independence and part from the support of formation of the Scottish National Party, we congratulate you on this. Well, I, I, I'm 
and ladies and gentlemen, I, I'm sure that's unanimous among the whole press corps. <laughs> Thank you all very much indeed. Thank you.